of chapter 14. That's verses 1 through 28 of chapter 14. And, and the title of the message this morning is Stay the Course. Stay the Course. And again, let's ask the Lord to help us um, understand His Word. Lord, thank you for being reminded us, Lord, that uh, we have the privilege of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Lord, thank you for that, who helps us, um, who awakens our heart uh, to you, who brings us new birth, who allows us to comprehend your scripture. So, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, help us understand your word. And not only understand it intellectually, but may it get deep down the, into the recesses of our soul and be applied in our life that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said this morning, uh, the title of the message is Stay the Course, and most people have heard of that phrase. It means to continue to do something uh, until it's finished or until you achieve something you've set out to do. So you stay the course. It was actually a nautical term. You've set the ship toward its course, and to stay the course was to keep going toward the course no matter the weather or the obstacles was to stay the course. That's where we got that phrase from. And we use it in everyday life, to stay in the course, to stick to it, go all the way to the end. Well, one man who was committed to leading his country to stay the course was a man named Sir Winston Churchill. And uh, this was exhibited over and over again during his lifetime and during his uh, leadership position as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom during World War II, um, the great British... Empire, and in his fa most, fa most famous speech, uh, he gave to the House of Commons of the Parliament of the United Kingdom in June 4th, 1940. Um, he, it was during the time that Hitler was gaining much ground in Europe. And you'll recognize these words um, as he said these in that background of Hitler and the Nazi Germany just taking over so much of Europe. Here's what he said. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may f fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with a growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the land, landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields, in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if, which you, I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might steps forth to rescue and the liberation of the old. Would you say that Sir Winston Tur Churchill was staying the course? I would say he was staying the course no matter what. In, in, in the midst of great opposition and everything going wrong around them, it looked like the United Kingdom and all the world was going to fall to the Nazis, but he stayed the course. The question for us this morning, are we staying the course? Are we staying the course? Uh, and we've been studying the book of Acts. We've seen and been reminded over and over again the mission of God that he has for the church to get the gospel to the nations. And we reminded that even in Acts 1.8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. We are to be the witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, no matter the cost. And we've seen this, this, this carrying out, this fulfillment of the mission of the church being 
fulfilled in the book of Acts. And we have seen it's been difficult at times. And yet, they have stayed the course no matter the cost. Will we stay the course no matter the cost when it means taking the mission of God, the gospel, to the world? We're called to stay the course. We're commanded, and I believe with all my heart we can, and I believe with all my heart we will stay the course. So this morning as we study chapter 14 of Acts, I want us to witness how Paul and Barnabas stay the course in fulfilling the mission of God for the church. I specifically want us to notice key, uh, two key elements that enable Paul and Barnabas to stay the course. Here's two key elements. Big picture here. Discernment and determination. Those are the key elements in this whole chapter. And you'll see it over and over again. You'll see discernment and you'll see determination. And that's how they are enabled or how, how they carry out staying the course of taking the gospel to the world. world. And after I walk down uh, through these verses, I again want to encourage us and exhort us to follow their example by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to be discerning and to be determined to carry out God's plan for the church. So let me remind you again where we are in Acts. Paul's on his first missionary journey. I'll bring up our map again. Well... Oh, it's just not back there. Oh, okay. All right, well, we'll start on this side. We started that side last time, right? So we'll come over here, and they started over in Antioch with Seleucia. They sailed to Cyprus, preached the gospel there. They went to uh, Perga, and they came up to Antioch. This is Pisidian Antioch, okay? And today, we're going to see them go to Iconium, to Lystra, to Derby, back to Iconium, back to Antioch, down through Perga to Adelaide, and then back home. We're going to get them all the way home today. All right, you see that? So they start over here. Where's my little laser? There he is. All right. All right, they're going to come down through here, Cyprus, up this way. Starting going to be in Antioch today, Lystra, Derby, back to Iconium, Antioch, to Perga, Italia, and then back home. So that's what's going on. That's just where we're going to be with Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary journey. At the end of chapter 13, they were run out of Pisidian Antioch, okay? And they, they, they went to Iconium. And we pick back up with those two, Paul and Barnabas, in Iconium in chapter 14, verse 1. Look there with me. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews, both of Jews and of Greeks. So true form, Paul and Barnabas, when they went into a city that had a synagogue, that's where they went first. They went to the synagogue. All right? And no doubt they spoke to the people who were gathered there. There were Jews, and we'll see there were Gentiles who were most likely what are called God-fearers who had converted to Judaism, and, and yet they were still considered a little second class, but they were, there were Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue, and most likely they presented the gospel from the Old Testament scriptures. Why would they do this? Because they knew that the people gathered in that synagogue knew the Old Testament scriptures, and they had a respect for the Old Testament scriptures and what they taught about God. So that's why they went there. That's why they taught about the gospel from the Old Testament scriptures. And these people, they truly and genuinely valued the word of God. And I'm sure, just as he did in Pisidian Antioch, all right, when we look back there in chapter 13, and of course they got ran out, ran out of town, but he, he, he takes what they know and he just steps down through the Old Testament. 
And eventually he arrives to the promised Messiah and says Jesus is the promised Messiah. And here's why we know that. And I'm sure that his sermon here in, in um, Iconium at the synagogue was very similar to that. And the result of the preaching of the gospel from the scriptures, it says here, was that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. I wonder why they believed. I wonder why Paul would take all that time again to preach a sermon starting all the way back from Genesis and preaching through the Old Testament to get the Messiah. Why would he take that time? Because we know that Paul believed this in Romans 1.16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, Paul believed that the gospel was the power of God for salvation. And the salvation would not come apart from the gospel being shared. Now, he shared it in such a way that they would understand, taking them through the Old Testament to arrive at the good news that God sent the Messiah, who was Jesus. And he died on the cross that you might, we saw him say this earlier in chapter 13, you might be freed from all things. They had never been free from all things. They were under the law, under the burden of the law, that all the law could do was say you're guilty. It could never free them. It could just condemn them. And hopefully the thought, with the, the, what God wanted was that we condemn them in such a way they would say, oh no, I need a savior. So he preaches and people respond to the gospel. So let me pause here for a moment and, and point out one of the two key elements that enable Paul and Barnabas to stay the course. Here we see the, the key element of discernment. Discernment is the ability to examine a situation and make a good judgment on how to proceed. So you look at what's going on, you look who's there, you look what's being said, or what's being done, whatever, whatever it is, and you make a good judgment on how to proceed. That's discernment. Paul and Barnabas showed discernment in that they understood who they were ministering to in the synagogue. They were ministering to people who knew the Word of God. So they started with the Word of God. That was the starting point. They weren't ministering to a bunch of pagans. They were ministering to people who said that they loved God and they loved his word. So why not start there? You see the discernment? They saw who they were speaking to. They understood who they were before. And they used exactly what those people would respect. And those people were already talking about. They had come to hear the word of God. And they used that to share the gospel. And we would do well to follow their example and use discernment with fulfilling the mission of God for the church. By, by understanding with whom we are speaking. Trying to find out if we don't know about these people, who they are, who it is that we're speaking to, so that we can start where they are, using discernment. And that's what they did. So let's move on to verse 2. It says, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Yes, there are many who believe, but as we saw last week, the gospel divides. It's always true in the crowd of people that there's some people, who, yes, I'm with it, and no, I'm not. And that was true here in this synagogue as well. Uh, some people try to turn people against Paul and Barnabas. Notice the word there, um, embittered. Your translation may say poisoned. Um, and it does have the idea of poisoned. It comes from a word that means to poison. They, they, they poison the public opinion about Paul and Barnabas. No doubt spreading lies about them, slandering them so that they could undercut their credibility so people wouldn't listen. So this is what's happening. These people are going around the town and saying, you can't believe these guys. Listen to what they've done. And who knows if it was true or not. Most likely it wasn't true. All right? And they would just make up stuff. 
to try to slander so people would not listen to what Paul and Barnabas said. They were poisoning people. So notice how Paul and Barnabas responded in verse 3. I want you to look real closely there. Verse 3, listen to what it says. Therefore they were embarrassed and so concerned about the reputation they fled in shame. Is that what your Bible says? It doesn't say that therefore they were embarrassed and so concerned about the reputation they fled in shame. No, they didn't. Look what they did in verse 3. No, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So here we see the second key element that enabled Paul and Barnabas to stay the course. Determination. Having made a firm decision and being resolved not to change it. And they had made a firm decision. They were determined to fulfill the ministry and the mission that God had for the church, taking the gospel to as many people as possible. What enabled them to be determined and not take off and run? All of a sudden, these people are telling all these bad stuff about them. They're slandering. They're, they're undercutting their, their, their credibility. What, what enabled them not to be shamed to run? Well, uh, and to be determined. Well, look what it says. It says, um, speaking boldly, with reliance upon the Lord. Other translations will say this, speaking boldly in the Lord. Okay, in one translation it says, speaking boldly for the Lord. And the understanding here and the way the stru structure is, is that they were relying upon the Lord. It was in the Lord. It was by the Lord's power that they were speaking. This is what enabled them to be, one of the things that enabled them to be determined. They were trusting in God to use them to get it done. To stay the course. That's how they were determined. Also notice what the Lord did. It says, who is testifying to the word of his grace. God was testifying to the word of his grace. It's another word for the gospel. He was testifying to, to the gospel being shared through Paul and Barnabas. How was he doing that? Look what it says. Granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. This is how he was testifying. He was saying... Listen to what they say and let me show you how that this is from me. There's signs and wonders that are being performed. Now, it doesn't say exactly here what they were. There are obviously probably people being healed. Um, we, we don't know exactly, but they're probably being healed. Uh, who knows what else was going on? But there were signs and wonders. And God was saying, listen to them. Again, just understand that God is powerful. And God, all through the, the, uh, the Gospels, through Jesus... Is, uh, God the Son is performing miracles, powerful miracles. But it's never about the miracle. It's always about the message. And even here, it doesn't even tell us what it is necessarily. Because it's about the message and God was using that kind of power that they would go, whoa, these guys must be from God. At least some of them would believe that. So it's not about the miracles. It's about the message. And that's how God is testifying to what they're saying. He was testifying to the word of his grace. Notice the, 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 the thing that's pri primary here. It's the word of his grace. And he's using these signs and wonders to point to that. Paul and Barnabas were determined in the face of adversity because they knew that God was in them and he would do his work through them. That's why they were determined. They knew that would be on a shadow of a doubt. And we too can be determined to proclaim the gospel knowing that God is in us and he will work his work through us. That's great news. Especially in the midst of adversity. That's how we can be determined. Now look at verses 4 through 7 with me. 
But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their, with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Laconia, which were Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. This again, um, uh, uh, we, we see the, the, the gospel brings division. Here, some of them were for him, some of them against. That's what the gospel does. And the people who were against began to pick up some stones. And that's the, the wording here. It says they were, it wasn't like they were getting back here behind and plotting. They may have done that. But this is to the point now that they're picking up the stones. And, you know, when you throw, when you throw, when you, you know, when you teach your kid to throw, always make sure they're stepping. Right? I mean, they've got it and they got the foot in the air. And they're coming. That's the picture here. They're going to stone them. Alright, so, um, and Paul and Barnabas knew it was time to leave. It was time to move on to the next place. And this shows discernment. Alright, they're discerning, they're looking around. Alright, what's getting ready to happen? And they show discernment by saying, so, you know, it's time for us to move on. And I would just say to us that when sharing the gospel with someone, when you're either met with indifference or anger, it's probably time to move on. I mean, often I'll do this and I'll talk to somebody and, and, and I can just tell they're not engaged or trying to change a subject. Boom, boom, boom. Why just keep on pushing it? Just, it's time to just move on and pray the Lord will open their hearts another time that they be open to it. Or when they respond in anger. Who do you think you are? Or something like that. You, just, you move on. And, and you pray that God would, again, open their heart. He would soften their heart. And we'd be do well to, to, to see here what they did. Be, be discerning. Understand what's going on. Understand when it's time to move on to someone else. And that's what they did. Well, Paul and Barnabas head south, uh, about 18 miles to Lystra. It says, uh, while they're there in verse 7, I just read, they continued to preach the gospel. This was always what they did. They went there and they preached the gospel. Why would they preach the gospel? They continued to preach. Why? Because they understood it was the power of God for salvation. They had no other message. There was nothing else the people needed but the gospel. So they, began, they continued to preach the gospel. Now let's read down verses, the, the, his time in Lystra here. Let's read verses 8 through 18. Beginning in verse 8. At Lystra a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, laying from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand up right on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you uh, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good and gave rains from heaven and fruitful season, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things, with difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. So here we see by the power of God that they, they heal a lame man. That's what happens first. And, and it seems that he was well known, that he had been there. He, Paul comes to the public place 
and he's preaching and this guy, this is probably where he came to beg. This is where people would be. That's why Paul went there. That's where people would be. He's at least a well-known um, lame man. And he heals and everybody knew this guy so much that they're amazed at the miracle. Uh, we know that Larry the leper has been here. I mean, Larry the, Larry the lame man has been here for a long time. He cannot walk. We know it's true. We checked with his parents, all those kind of things. We know this guy was really crippled. He's been there the whole time. He can't walk. And all of a sudden, this guy comes to town. In the name of Jesus, he heals the guy. He leaps up. I love that. I mean, when, when God does a miracle, you know, he didn't like, well, he's still got a limp. I mean, he was healed. He restored. I mean, actually, the, the word there, healed, is the exact same word we use for salvation. Sozo. Salvation. So we get the word. He saved him. He rescued him. This was from a physical ailment. That's why they, it's, it's, it's in our English translation as healed or made well. Um, but it was an amazing miracle. And these people are so amazed, all right, that they thought that these guys were gods, that Paul and Barnabas were, were gods. And they, and they call Barnabas Zeus and, and Paul Hermes. One commentator helps us. Why in the world? Because that's what we do, right? When we see something amazing, we go, oh, there must be gods. That's what normal people do, right? No, it's kind of weird that they would, why would they say this? No, he, he, they do this in other places and nobody else does this. Nobody else says, oh, they must be gods. It's Zeus and Hermes, of course. Well, let me help you give some little background, background to this. There was a tradition in Lystra, where they are, that gods, Zeus and Hermes, once came to earth incognito. When they arrived at Lystra and asked for food and lodging, everyone refused them. Finally, and... and, and an old um, man named Philemon and his wife, not the same Philemon later in, in the New Testament, and Bacchus, uh, his wife, took them in. Their inhospitable neighbors were drowned in a flood sent by the vengeful gods. Philemon and Bacchus, however, saw their humble college cottage turn into a magnificent temple where they served as, a, as priests and priestesses. After their deaths, they were turned into two stately trees. Who wouldn't want to be a stately tree? You know? so, so what's happening is these people encountered this miracle by Paul and Barnabas and they didn't want to miss out this time. They heard this had happened here in Lister before. We don't want to miss out. So count me in. It's got to be them. They've come back incognito disguised as Paul and Barnabas. We're not going to miss out this time. Let's worship them. Maybe all of us get temples. And all of us get to become stately trees. We'll have a forest here in Lystra of people who respected the great Zeus and Hermes. At first, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't understand what was going on because it says that they were, they were speaking in a, in, in a Lyconian language. All right? This would be a, a native language. It's kind of like when you go, go to Uganda. Um, there, there's English is actually the, 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 uh, the language of the nation officially because it was a, a British colony. Um, Lugandan is what m most of them speak. If, they're not if they don't have an education, they'll speak that. And there's like 76 tribal languages. So they're probably speaking in a local language. It's like Honeyman or a local area, a language, and, and, and Paul and Barnabas, they're not getting it. Um, however, when the priest of Zeus showed up with a sacrifice, they got clued in real quick. They think we're gods, and now they begin to understand what's happening. They're going to worship us. Well, surely, Paul and Barnabas were tempted by this act of potential worship. I mean, can you imagine? They're out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is kind of a country. This isn't, this isn't Iconium anyway. Where they're, they're in Lystra. Derby's even more country. Not, it's a smaller place. Not a lot of people. They're way away from Syrian Antioch, where they started from. 
these people are getting ready to offer sacrifice. Can you imagine what they would do for us? If we just went ahead and played along with it? I mean, we're gods. This is great. I mean, they, they treat the gods good. And especially since what happened last time and they ignored the gods they thought they came. I mean, can you imagine? And I don't, don't doubt there was temptation. These people were treating them nice. I mean, they'd just been run out of two towns. Okay? And, and now these people are, 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 in Lystra at least, are treating them nice for the wrong reason, but treating them nice. Of course, this would be a scheme that Satan would try to use to derail the mission of God for the church. And no doubt he was involved. But Paul and Barnabas instead submit to God. They resist the devil. As it says in Hebrew, in James chapter 4. Resist, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's what they do. And they humble themselves. It says in this, it's interesting that, that, that uh, um, Ben just read this, that when Jesus basically said, hey, I'm God, and I'm going to send, you're going to see the right, me send the right hand to the throne of God, and they tore their robes. And you hear we see them do the same thing. They tear. It's, it's a sign of blasphemy. That's blasphemy. We're not gods. Do not worship us. That's what they were saying. Do not worship. They humble themselves. Why? Because they were determined to fulfill God's mission for the church. Notice also the message they preached to the people. Uh, there, there was no synagogue in Lystra. Uh, so they're not speaking to a bunch of Jews, but pagans who were polytheist. Obviously, that's, we, we know that. For, for sure. And they told the people, turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And they go on. They point to the evidence for God in creation. They say, look around you. I mean, you wonder where this came from. And it's not a bunch of gods. It's not this competing, we got a God for this and a God for that. And a God. It's, it's, it's the God who, who made it all. And if a God who made it all... I mean, if God could make it all, he must be sovereign. He must rule over all. And, and the, the fact that this sovereign God was gracious to the pagan nations, it says he permitted them to go their own ways for a time. And even during that time, he provided for them rains that brought food. This is the God that we're talking about. They point to the evidence for God. And we, again, we see, we see discernment here from Paul and Barnabas because they understood who they were speaking with. They didn't know their Bibles. They didn't have them. At least most of them there didn't. Surely they had heard the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Surely, but it seems the people he's having this debate with and what's going on right now, they don't. And he understood that. So he, he got to where they were and he began with creation. And he pointed to the God. And Romans 1 tells us that God makes known to everyone, everyone, through his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, through what has been made. And that's what Paul does. And we would do well to follow their example. When we're speaking to somebody who doesn't know where Genesis is, don't keep telling them what it says in Genesis yet. Let's start and just, let's just let, hey, look around you. There's evidence for a creator. Now, don't stop there. All right? Um, but that's what, they, that's what they were doing here. So, of course, they were using this connection with God's general revelation, which is creation, to get to God's special revelation as seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to explain the creation around us? What's well, God's special revelation found in His Word, found in the Word, Jesus Christ. And that's what they were trying to get to. They never got to this chance. They got, got to have this chance to get to that point. Because we see at the beginning of verse 19, look there with me through verse 20. It says, but 
Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around, he, around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. I love this account. They beat Paul almost to death. They drag him out of the city. Left for dead in a sense. It says the disciples, most likely Barnabas was there. We don't know why Barnabas didn't get beat up. Didn't say he did. Maybe because Paul was doing most of the speaking. But, he, but Barnabas said some other disciples, so some other believers who had believed and Lister, they're around and they're standing. And Paul, it says, supposing him to be dead. So he must have looked dead. And they're standing around him. Who knows what they were thinking. And all of a sudden, Paul goes, Tell the funeral director, the funeral's off. And he gets back up and he goes back into the town. I love it. He was determined because he knew that God had a work for him in Lystra. And nothing would keep him from fulfilling what God had called him to do. To get out the mission of the church. I think about what happened here close to Christmas Eve. And maybe some of you read it, made national news. But a good friend of mine who's actually spoken here a couple times at our 10-year anniversary, Tommy Nelson, who's pastor at Denton Bible Church, they had a threat on their church. If anybody showed up for Christmas Eve, there was going to be a bomb go off. A bunch of people were going to get hurt. So they did, this was a couple days beforehand, and they had to write, did the right thing, call the police. They come, they examine the whole um, campus there, their, their, their church building, all the different things around, make sure it's safe. And, and Tommy Ace went on, you know, news, they went all over the place. Nobody's going to intimidate for us from worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not be intimidated. We will stand up and proclaim the gospel regardless. Why, why would Tommy do that? Because he was like Paul in this sense. That he, had a, he has a mission. We have a mission. It's to get the gospel out. And we cannot be intimidated from sharing the gospel. We've got to. It's the only hope for those people who act like that. Who don't love Jesus. Their only hope to be saved from their sin is the gospel. We do it out of love. We do it out of obedience to Christ. So he might be glorified. How in the world could, could Tommy do that? How was it that Paul could get back up after almost being beat to death, walk back in to Lystra? What would make him do this? Well, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. He knew that getting back up, and going back into Lystra would, be, would show the power of Christ. Now, I don't think he jumped back into Lystra. He probably drug himself back into Lystra. He was beat to death. It doesn't say that God healed him and all of a sudden he was all full and whole again. And he, yeah, he walks back in there. Who would get the glory? Not Paul. But the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who he'd been preaching about. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Acts 16, we're going to get there one day. Paul comes back to Lystra on his second missionary journey. And there's a young disciple there named Timothy in Lystra. No doubt, on this first missionary journey, Timothy was one of the ones who heard the gospel and he believed. Because it says in Acts 16 that he was well spoken of by the brethren. This guy believed and he, everybody knew it. And no doubt it was this time. And, and, and most likely, Timothy witnessed Paul get back up. 
and go back in the city. Who was glorified? It wasn't Paul. In his weakness, in his weakness, he says, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And I believe God used that to change Timothy's life. Now, Paul and Barnabas here used discernment again and went on to Derby and preached the gospel. Okay? That was determination. But then they learned discernment here that they've been beaten up pretty good. So the next day they get and they move on. All right? And they head about 40 miles east um, to Derby. Look what happened. Um, when they got to Derby, they preached the gospel. Then in verse 21, after they had preached the gospel, we'll go down through verse 23, uh, to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas went went back, after they'd gone to Derby, preached the gospel, and went back to the cities they had just visited. Look what it says. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue their faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. They did this, not only through teaching the word of God, which is how they would, this is a word, strengthening their souls, is often used in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, about giving the word of God so it will strengthen believers. Right? They gave the word of God, but they also called him to obey, exhort him to obey the word of God. Don't just take it in, but live it out. Okay? And warn them that it wouldn't be easy. It says that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And surely Paul and Barnabas had been illustrations of that truth. They went back to all these cities. They'd been, not, they'd been kicked out. They'd been beaten up. They'd almost been stoned. All these kind of things. They'd go back there. And they strengthened the disciples. They, they encouraged them to be faithful. And they said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And if you remember what um, uh, was said about Paul when he came to the Lord, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Paul knew about suffering. And he encouraged these people. This is part of the deal. He writes to Timothy later. And I think he's talking about this very time in the context of Timothy. And he says, indeed, all who choose to live godly lives will be persecuted. And right before that, he says, remember when I was in Iconium and Lystra of Timothy? It's the very verse right before that, verse 11, before verse 12 in, in, in Timothy. We're going to experience trials. And he warns them, he, encouraged, he says, this is going to happen. So once again, by going back to these cities they had been run out of, they show determination. Uh, they also show discernment. Right? And they showed a sermon by this, by appointing elders for them in every church. They gave leadership to these new believers. Okay, they went through, they came back, and there's a group of believers that had formed, and they began meeting. Now there's a church there, because the church is not a building, the church is the people, and there's a group of people there that love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're getting together, they're worshiping together in these cities, and then they appoint elders for every church. Let me make this point, I don't have time to go into all this. Elders is plural. It wasn't just one. Elders, plural, a plurality of elders. You see it all through the New Testament. It's plural, not elder. Also, just we'll see this in Acts 20. It's one of the best passages about this. The word elder, the word pastor are synonymous in the New Testament. They're exactly the same. And in fact, the word pastor, which comes from the word poem, and where we get the word poem from, means to shepherd, to pastor, is only used a couple times in all the New Testament. All right? In Ephesians 4, pastors 
talks about pastor teachers. They're one of the elders, all right? Pastor, they're, they're, one, they're, they're not one, but some of the elders, all right? But they, we, we kind of differentiate. The, the, the New Testament doesn't necessarily differentiate between them. It talks about those who excel at teaching, all right? To reserve du double honor that there are some of the elders that all of them are supposed to teach. That's one of the qualifications, have the ability to teach, to, to defend the gospel. But, but there's some who excel in that, but they're part of the elders, so if someone's a pastor, they're an elder. If they're an elder, they're a pastor. You see that? Synonymous. And, and, and there's three words. There's two words for elder in the New Testament. Presbyteros and episkopos. episkopos. And then there's the word pastor, poimen, or shepherd. And all three of those words in Acts 20 are used synonymously for the same people. It's, e it's easy to see. So there's not, there's not like a pastor and then an elder. No, they're all the same. Tyler, Greg, you know, I told you, you're pastors too. You're elders, right? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an elder, I'm a pastor. It's the same word, right? And, and, and then, so this, they show discernment here. And I say that because we're getting ready to, what? Have some new elders and deacons, hopefully, right? I think hopefully next week we should, we're hoping to be able to present to you um, uh, to, to pray about and be discerning and, and to agree with us about uh, a, a, some, some new elders and some new deacons. And so we'll have even more plurality of elders here at Grace. But we see this. They, there's discernment. And the point here is that they, they give leadership to these new believers. They don't leave them high and dry. Hey, we'll see you next time we come through because they weren't even sure there's going to be a next time. All right? So let's now look at verses 24 through 28, the end of the passage. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adelaide. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. Well, they head back to catch a ship to Antioch, where they started this a long time ago. I don't know a long time ago, but months before this. Actually, probably a couple years before this, but they, 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 they're heading home in a sense. But on their way, they preach the word to the cities that they go through. Uh, this shows this, discern, it shows discernment and determination. It shows determination because they're determined to get the gospel to as many people as they possibly can while they're out. And it shows discernment by preaching along the way because they're not assured they're going to come back. So use their time wisely. They judge the situation. We're heading home. But on the way, let's make sure that we tell all these other cities about the gospel. So you see determination and discernment in this last part of the passage. Now they get back to Antioch. I love this. And let everyone know what had happened. They get out the slideshow. You know the missionary slideshow? That's what they do, man. If you're back in my day, all right, now they get out the PowerPoint. They get out whatever the keynote or whatever it is. And they report what happened. I love that. Now I want you to notice who is the central person, the central figure in what they report. Look there. All things, let's just say, and in verse 27, began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They didn't talk about their determination or their discernment. They talked about God and what God had done because ultimately it was all about God yes he used them but it was all about God it's about what God had done to get the gospel to the ends of the earth well what would what would we learn from all this there's a lot um, 
uh, here. And, but you see how discernment and determination weave their way all the way through this passage. So let me exhort us here at Grace Bible Church to be discerning. Understand who God has us in front of. Don't, the, the, the message of the gospel is the same, but how we go about getting to that message is different with different people. If, they, if we say, well, you know, in the, in, in the Bible, in John chapter 3, it says, they, maybe they don't even know what the Bible is. Let's start there. All right, let's first find out what they do know, and don't tell them, what, what, you know, so you can get them to the place where they can't hear the gospel. I'm not saying don't share what the Bible has to say about the gospel. That's the only place it's found. But at least get to the common ground where you can see where they're coming from. And then, based upon what you find out, then use that discernment and share the gospel. Be determined. <coughs> Determined, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to stay the course no matter what. And I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. If they kick me out, so I'll just go someplace else. Because that's what God's called me to do as part of the church. How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us a clue in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. God's grace in us. The desire and power to do God's will empowers us to be discerning and to be determined to get the gospel out. So just as Sir Winston Churchill confidently proclaimed, we shall go to, on to the end. We shall never surrender. We, by God's grace, based on his promise, we shall go on to the end. We shall take the gospel to Clute. We shall take the gospel to Freeport and Lake Jackson. We shall take the gospel to Angleton and all of Brazoria County. We shall take the gospel to Texas. We shall take the gospel to this United States. We shall take the gospel to the ends of the earth, whatever the cost may be. We shall take the gospel to our families. We shall take the gospel to, the gospel, to, to, their, to our neighborhoods. We shall take the gospel to our workplace. We shall take the gospel to our schools. We shall take the gospel to our athletic fields and courts. We shall never surrender. And by God sustaining grace and empowering grace, let's stay the course and fulfill the mission of the church here at Grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the call to fulfill your mission. And Lord, thank you for the power to fulfill that call, to stay the course. Lord, give us discernment as we take the gospel to the world around us. And how best to get to the message so that they can be freed from all things. Lord, give us determination when we're rejected, when we're despised, when we're slandered, when we're tired. Give us determination to stay the course that you might be glorified so we too can tell of all that God did and how he opened the hearts of the people that we came in contact with. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.